This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Leroy Butler, newly Hall of Famer, Class of 22. It is a touchdown for Leroy Butler. Holy cow, and the fumble recovery. And the Packers go up 20 to nothing. And you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast. Well, a week ago, we had former Green Bay safety Leroy Butler on this podcast. It took him 16 years to reach Canton, but he got there as a member of this year's Hall of Fame class. But Leroy Butler wasn't alone because there was another member of the class of 2022 who made it after 16 years of waiting, too. And that's former Jacksonville tackle Tony Baselli. Now, Tony's case is a little different, Ari knows that, because he was a top 10 finalist, six consecutive years waiting on the doorstep of Canton before he could get in. And Tony, first of all, that's a long time. Congratulations. Your patience is remarkable. And second, that had to be frustrating to be so close to reaching the hall, six straight years, and then finally just crossing the finish line in the sixth. Yeah. Well, first, thank you, Clark. Thanks, Ira, for having me. And thanks for, you know, all the support throughout the years. And, and yeah, it, it, it was a tough process, frustrating at times, but, I think as Clark, as you told me a long time ago when we first started this process, I think in Houston, is it doesn't matter once you get in. Nobody cares if it's first or 16th um, that once you're a Hall of Famer, you're once a, you're, you are a Hall of Famer for the rest of, uh, the, rest of the time. And the, the funny thing was you mentioned that six straight years of being a top 10 finalist. I was always like, I'm like, wait, if I do the math right, <laughs> I, was top, I was top 10. Five guys went in, so right. shouldn't I be the next group that gets in? Yeah, you should. Uh, so obviously, it <laughs> obviously, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, and you know, I always said, I, I believe from day one, and it was frustrating, and there was moments of anxiety, and you get, you know, you wonder if it's ever going to happen. But never once um, during this process did I look at the guys who did get in when I didn't and I was a finalist and say, I should be there instead of them. Never once, because the guys that got in when I didn't, they're Hall of Famers, and they had Hall of Fame careers, and they were amazing players, and I competed against some of them. Um, and I always said, well, that's the process, and it should be hard. Um, it's, the, it's the highest pinnacle um, in pro football um, as far as, in, in, as an individual award, and I'm just happy that it took six years. I don't care anymore. It's this moment. It's worth it. Um, the time at the Super Bowl and the induction and the honors and having Anthony Munoz knock on my door and come welcome me to the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't, I'm not sure it would have been any sweeter if it would have been the first time yeah. I got, uh, that I got in. Well, you know, it's funny because you say that because smart man once said, you know what they call the guy who graduated last in his class at med school? I go, what? They call him doctor, right? Doesn't make a difference whether you're last in your class or first. All right. They're all doctors. And, and I think your patience was remarkable because you never sounded off afterwards. And you're right. 
you do the math, you go, you should be next in. You should be next in. But there was always a reason, a first ballot guy or a gridlock of offensive linemen. But this was your year, and we've had your presenter, Mets Hall of Fame voter Sam Kavaris, on this program. And he and Ira and I all felt that this was your chance to get to Canton, that there were no more excuses for not voting you in. There were no more obstacles in the way. This was your chance. That if it didn't happen now, it may not happen, period. This was your chance. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, you know, there was, you know, all those offensive linemen for all those years, and it was kind of one at a time going in. And mm-hmm. and with my career being the shortest of everyone else's, I think, you know, mo- a, a number of voters thought, you know, I should be last of those four guys going in. Um, and, you know, you could argue either way. It doesn't matter. It, but coming into this year, I felt like, and I actually told my wife, I said, listen, if it doesn't happen this year, I'm not sure it ever will happen. And she's like, oh, come on. You know, that's not true. I said, no, I really believe that. And, and I actually, Clark, I got to the point where I had to, like, mentally um, say I was going to be all right if it didn't happen. Because you can't live life that way. Yeah. I mean, it's some, I, don't, I don't control this. Any, I mean, my, what I could control was when I played. Um, it's not my fault I got hurt and the surgery made it worse. Um, it's not like I walked away the game because I was tired of it. And I didn't like football anymore or whatever reason people uh, leave their profession. It was taken away from me at some level. And so I, I got to the point um, during these six years of this process of just being okay if it didn't happen. And some people thought like, are you saying it wouldn't be that impactful? It wouldn't be defined. No, 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 no. This is amazing. And trust me, I wanted to be a Hall of Famer because it's, it's recognizing my career and what I did on the football field. And I love football. I love the history of the game. I think it's the greatest sport ever. It's done. It's given me more than I could ever give it. Relationships, you know, experiences, life principles, what I've learned. Um, but I, I had to get to that point where if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I did think this was the year. Um, I was hoping it was the year. I had a lot of positive comments from voters going into the process before you get voted on, on the 18th. Um, but you never know because you get in that room and the other 14 guys that were finalists with me all have great cases to be Hall of Fame, in the Hall of Fame as well. And I knew it was going to be, it's always tough and uh, it should be tough. Congratulations, TB. Congrats. Um, you would come to Raymond James Stadium, Tony, over the years, and I'd say, patience, grasshopper, patience. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you didn't want to hear it. Now, Tony, you're talking to a guy who made a speech for John Lynch for eight years in a row, Tony. Yep. Eight years in a row. And I'd see Lynch's wife, and she'd be looking at me sideways, like, what, what, what are you doing in that room over there? So, Tony, I want to ask you about this. Um, you know, players say they have mentors. Well, you, you had a mentor. Uh, the great Anthony Munoz, um, basically the greatest player at his position, Tony, in the 100-year history of this league. Tony, what's the first time you ever met him personally? And what, what were the great lessons, not even the technique-wise, but just the great lessons you learned from the man? Yeah, it was, it's interesting, Ira. And number one, thank you. And you're right about John Lynch. And he was great during this process, too. He called me and, you know, I, he was so encouraging. And he, he went through it even longer than I did. Um, but Anthony, you know, it's funny because when I was at SC, I, he didn't come around much. I didn't see him a lot. Uh, and I didn't really have much of a relationship with him at all. But my first interaction with him was my uh, redshirt sophomore year at USC. I was, I was actually the first couple of games of the year. I wasn't playing great, I didn't feel like. And I went and found an old tape of Anthony Munoz, a coaching tape. 
And I would sit there for hours watching Anthony Munoz um, teach about offensive line play and his film when he was at the Bengals and just, and I started incorporating stuff that he did and he taught. And it was, it was, it was so, it was great for me. And I obviously looked up for him. And then when I got drafted is when I really started developing a relationship with him. He was doing TV and he'd come to Jaguar games and they did, you know, I think it was at ESPN or one of the networks. He did a special on me and we developed a, a good relationship and a friendship. And, you know, we, we talked less about offensive line play than anything. What I really always appreciate about Anthony is the type of person he was and the role model of, of how he approached life. And just, he's such a good man. I agree with you. He's the greatest left tackle to ever play the game. Um, I always, I always kind of laugh and chuckle. He'll come up to me and says, you know, he'll say he's that I was better than he was. And I'm like, Anthony, that's very kind of you, but you're the best. And uh, he, we have, it's a great relationship. He's, he's someone that I tried to, you know, watching tape of him. that, that was the standard. And I, you talk about mentors, you know, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this process um, in, in going into the Hall of Fame is it forces you, or at least it's forced me to really reflect on how I got here and what the journey uh, has been. And the overwhelming emotion has been gratitude. Uh, uh, just thankful to God that he made me six, seven and athletic because I didn't have any, I had nothing to do with that. I might've worked to refine that, those gifts, but it was from him. And maybe even more importantly, the people he's put in my life and the coaches had an amazing high school coach in San Pagano. Um, my parents, my mom and dad, um, I, I can just go down the list. My offensive line coaches that I had at SC were amazing. Um, you know, so I think, Getting into the Hall of Fame is an individual honor. There's no doubt about it. But I feel like I'm bringing a lot of people with me. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the Hall of Fame because of their, their fingerprints on my life. And, uh, and you know, it's, just, it's been an amazing journey. Tony, I want to ask you about a couple of ex-teammates that uh, I, I know that you feel like you should bring them with you to Canton. Um, and they don't get talked about enough, in my opinion. Tony, I'm sure you agree. Jimmy Smith and, and Fred Taylor, you blocked for Fred Taylor. You gave Brunel enough time to find Jimmy Smith. Tony, these were exceptional players in Jacksonville. Yeah, and they never got to do when they played because I think we're in a small market. Um, Fred Taylor has, I think, over 12,000 yards, and he has 4.6 yards per carry. Go list the number of players in the history of this game who've done that. And you're going to get about down to number three, <laughs> and, and then it's over. I think Jim Brown, I believe Andrew Peterson's the other one, and, and Fred Taylor. Um, if you asked anyone who played against Fred Taylor, and, you, and if you turned on the tape, there was no one like him. And there was great backs. And, you know, some of the arguments is, well, he didn't make the Pro Bowl and this stuff. I, I don't care. Go watch the tape. Go watch what he did. Go look at his statistics. Go look at his production. And go ask anyone he played against. And they'll tell you he was one of the best to ever do it. Um, Jimmy Smith's another guy that, um, you know, I read the, the best thing I can say about him is nobody could cover him man to man. And we, our offense at, at the end of the day was pretty simple at times with Fred Taylor and Jimmy Smith. Brunel will get to the line of scrimmage. If they had seven in the box, we were going to run the ball. If there was eight in the box and they were going to play man outside against Jimmy Smith, um, we were throwing to Jimmy. It, you know, the year that the, the Ravens had the number one overall defense in the history of the NFL as far as scoring points, we scored 34 points against him. And Jimmy Smith had like 280 yards of receiving. He did. He did. You know, 
go ask any Hall of Fame corner what it was like to play Jimmy Smith man to man. None of them. I've never I've never seen anyone cover him by themselves. He's uh, I, I, in my opinion, neither Jimmy or Fred got to do that they did. Partly maybe because playing in a small market. I don't know why else you wouldn't. Um, and remember, Jimmy Smith did that in an era where uh, you could take receivers' heads off across the middle of the field. There was no defenseless receiver. I mean, you had you had to have a certain um, uh, you had to have a, quite a bit of courage. I'll put it, leave it, say, use that term um, to play to do what he did. So I think they're both the greatest of our era, or some of the greats of the era. And I think if you ask players and coaches who had to try to stop them, they would agree. No, nobody talks about Jimmy Smith. Don't you never hear his name mentioned? You never, never. In Jacksonville, you do, Ira. But remember, I mean, you know this. You're a Florida guy down there in Tampa. Sometimes people forget that, uh, and partly due to our own the organization's own fault for not being very good the last, you know, uh, twenty years. I mean, the most success we had was the years that I was, me, Fred, and Jimmy were all in Jacksonville, and so I think they forget. They forget about you know, what he did and who he was. But look at the, the look at this class right now. I mean, Cliff Branch, um, look how long he had to, I mean, I remember watching Cliff Branch as a kid because I was a big Bronco fan, a- AFC West, those battles against the Raiders. Uh, Cliff Branch is now a Hall of Famer, but you could argue he probably had to wait too long. We're speaking with Tony Baselli, Hall of Famer Tony Baselli on the eye test for two. And boy, it sounds good to say that. It's been a long time. But Tony, um, we asked Leroy Butler on this show, I mentioned that at the start of the program that we had him on last week, we mentioned to him that we had this vote on January 18th, but it was a long time afterwards that people found out about it, actually three weeks later, but sometime after that the actual inductees found out about it as well when the knock came at the door. How excruciating was that wait for you? Because you don't know. I mean, there's probably all sorts of things going through your head, but you just don't know. So you're waiting. And then when that door opened, what was the feeling? Was it elation or was it more relief that the wait is finally over? It was probably both. Um, it, it, it was both. And, and I actually told the Hall of Fame this, you know, at the at Super Bowl, Super Bowl weekend is like, hey, one recommendation. Don't tell us when you guys vote. Because we all knew you voted on the 18th. So then you're waiting. Like, just keep it quiet. Like, because you guys do a great job of keeping everything else quiet. Just keep that portion quiet too. Cause I don't want to know because as soon as you found out the vote was done, the hall of fame was decided upon. Right. And, and I had to wait till the 27th for the knock on the door. And Clark and I, the funny thing is the hall of fame called my wife the next day and said, Tony made the hall of fame. Cause they had to start planning on where I was going to, because I travel a lot for work and they're like, okay, we need to figure out where he's going to be and when we can come do this knock. And I've been giving my wife a hard time. I'm like, you know what? You're a good liar. Because she kept it. She didn't tell anybody. for it, And was organizing this whole thing. And the funny, the, you guys will love this. The night before I found out. So I found out the 27th of January with Anthony, Anthony Munoz coming to knock on the door. Where it was a moment I'll never forget. The rest of my life is we went to dinner the 26th night. Me, my wife, and my oldest son, Andrew. And I was really feeling anxious at this time because now the clock's ticking and I'm like, okay, if I haven't found out yet, that might be bad news that, you know, because they're going to tell the guys who didn't make it last. And I told her and I I was grumpy. I was probably not the best dinner guest. And I'm, (laughs) and she knew the whole time. 
and I'm sitting there just like excruciating, like stress and anxiety of like, what's going to happen. And she just sat there and played dumb. And uh, we joked about it the next day because I found out the next day. And in that moment, there is a little bit of relief, like, oh, I don't have to go through this again next year. Because I really did. We talked about it earlier. I thought this was, if it didn't happen this year, it might never happen. But I also knew that I'd probably be a finalist again next year and we go through the same thing. So there's that relief of not ever having to do that process again. But the elation of being in the Hall of Fame. I, I, as I said earlier, I love the game. I'm a, I love the history of the game. And the thought that Tony Baselli's name is going to be etched in the history books in Canton with a bust tied to the game that I love is I, – I only have words to – like, like I, I'm the kid who grew up – like I, all I wanted to do was play football. Like – high school, college, when I got to the pros, I thought it was the coolest thing just to be there. Now to be a part of its history as a hall of famer is, is just awesome. Did you, by the way, ask your wife, what else aren't you telling me? You're really good. I did. (laughs) I did. I told her, I said, Clark, I told her, I said, Hey, listen, uh, we're going to have to do like a deep investigation of what else you're hiding from me. Because if you're this good of a liar and you're this deceptive, I need to start like, Maybe I need to track her iPhone or no, she's, <laughs> my wife. We've been married 27 years this year. We got we're high school. I mean, college sweethearts, five kids. And this woman has been my, you know, she was a cheerleader, a song girl at USC. So she cheered for me when I played and she's been my biggest cheerleader and supporter. And she said it was the, one of the hardest things she ever had to do was watch me like being stressed and some anxiety around this whole process knowing that I had made it and not being able to tell me. Tony, a um, couple, couple of last ones for me. Thanks for your time, buddy. Uh, Tony, you're, you're a historian, so I'm going to hit you with this. That 95 draft, my friend, you're number two. Six Hall of Famers, six, including yourself. Can you give me the other five, Mr. Boselli? So, um, Derek Brooks, Warren okay. Sapp, okay. Curtis Martin, Yes. Um, who am I missing? That's so. It's four with me. There's three more. Uh, two, two, so more. First, two, two more. Two more. So mm-hmm. uh, one's a running back. That. One's a running back, and one's a defensive back. Uh, defense. uh, the defensive back would be. Is it Ty Law? It is. Yep. And then uh, the other running back, Chris Martin, Terrell Davis. That's right. Um, wow. Tony, going into the going into the '95 draft. Now, look, you're a tackle, and I understand that. Did you have any illusions about being the number one overall pick uh, going into that draft? How did you? How yeah. did you look at that? Yeah, no, I, it was funny during the process. I knew the Jags. I mean, Tom Coughlin told me when I'm on my visit says, "If you're there at two, we're taking you're our pick." Um, and the night before the draft, the Bengals actually traded up. Yes. Um, with the Carolina Panthers, the number one overall pick. And I had had a lot of conversations. They'd come out and visit with me. And I get a call in my hotel room. because It was in New York at the time at the Marriott Marquis. And it's the Jaguars saying, hey, we're hearing rumors that the Bengals traded up to take you. Have you have, have they called your agent? Do you know anything? And I was like, I have nothing for me. I mean, I'll call my agent. No one's said anything to me. Um. And so, like, there was there was a little bit of a sense because the Carolina Panthers, when they had the number one pick, we didn't – I never had much interaction with them, so I didn't think right. they would take me. 
Um, I thought there was a chance, but I think late that night or early in the morning, we had heard that they were going to take Kajana Carter. Right. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. I was just, I didn't care. One, two, I'll be honest with you. If you'd have told me I was just getting drafted, I'd be happy. I just wanted to play football. Um, and going to Jacksonville, uh, people all the time have said, do you wish you'd have gone to, you know, the Cowboys or the Giants or Packers, one of those historical uh, NFL franchises with the great tradition. I wouldn't change being a Jaguar for anything. I don't care about the small market. I don't care. But being the first pick of an organization, um, I always took a lot of pride in, and, and it was a lot of responsibility that I enjoyed. Last one for me, Tony. Thanks for your time, buddy. Uh, Tony, you mentioned it. The, this 2000 game, week two, week two, and here come the Ravens. Now, Tony, in week two, we didn't know that the Ravens were going to have a historic defense, which they did. Tony, you lost 39-36. And as you mentioned, Jimmy Smith, 291 yards against the Ravens defense. Now, Tony, their right end was Michael McCrary. He had some big seasons. So here's my question, Tom. McCrary didn't do anything in that game. He didn't. Uh, going up against you. But, Tony, is there a right defensive end or two, uh, maybe in the division or whatever, that um, you think's been a little bit under-publicized that, that you faced, that you said, man, that guy's a heck of a player. Um, I played against Eric Thomas, obviously, battled Bruce Smith. Um, I played against guys who were in the Hall of Fame, um, who made multiple Pro Bowls, all pros, and they're all great players, too. Michael McCrary gave you all you wanted every snap and we battled for a lot of years and I would say if I was listing the players that I have the utmost respect for and guys that I knew I had to be at my best uh, to have success Mike McCrary would be right at the top of that list obviously Bruce Smith would be as well and, and you know the D Derek Thomas and so many great players but Mike McCrary no one talks about him and on that defense you know, they had great players led by Ray Lewis, um, at middle linebacker. But Michael McCrary was their best pass rusher. He brought an attitude to that group um, that I think helped them be the number one defense in, in the league and really historically in the NFL. And I, I always give, you know, my teammates that played defense uh, in that game a lot of grief because I'm like, wait a second. We scored 36 points against the greatest scoring defense yeah. Yeah. in the history of the NFL. And you knuckleheads couldn't keep them out of the end zone one more time. I mean, are you kidding me? Tony, I know you got to run, so I'll make these quick. Two last quick ones. Um, you spoke so fondly of the Jacksonville Jaguars. What kind of satisfaction do you have being the first Jaguar enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? It's huge to me. Um, I, I'm still part of the organization. I love this place. I, I, I live and die. Uh, with their wins and losses. And so it's been a lot of death lately. And I took it as a huge responsibility when I was the first pick, when I was a player, like I represented the organization I have since I retired. Um, and to be the first hall of famer from Jacksonville. Um, it's, it's important to me because I think the fans, you know, they're looking, they, they've been supportive of me, the organization, Shad Khan, our owner, uh, who wasn't the owner when I was there, but has been super supportive in this process. Wayne Weaver, the past owner. Like, again, I said earlier, I'm going into the Hall of Fame. It's for Tony Baselli, but I'm bringing the organization with me. I'm bringing my family. I'm bringing our fans, my friends, my teammates. Um, it's, it's a big deal to me. 
And lastly, you played in the golden age of left tackles, Ogden, Rofe, Pace, Jones, and you. Who's the best left tackle in the game today? Well, I think we'd all argue <laughs> which one it is. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's tough. I mean, I. Who's the I guy mean, you like? Three, Who's the guy you like? The, yeah, there's three years I made the, you know, all pro in front of all of them. And there's other years that didn't. So I liked all their games. So Willie Rofe was a guy who was older than me. And but so I mean, I watched, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about today's game. Who's today's the best? Game. Oh, to, today's game. game. Yeah. My favorite, that's a, that's a much easier question for me, Clark. My favorite tackle in today's game is Trent Williams. Ah. Um, love him. I love how he plays. He's physical. He has a nastiness. Um, like you could play the game differently when I in, when I played the game. I mean, you could get a guy down. I mean, I would get guys on the ground and just go ball them. You do that today, you might get a, a fine and thrown in jail because uh, <laughs> of the way the game is officiated. But Trent Williams, he he presses the envelope. He's he's a great um, pass blocker. He's big. He's athletic, but he's also um, a really physical run blocker. He finishes guys. Um, he's my favorite left tackle in the game today. Tony, who's going to present you? Do you know yet? I do, but I'm not telling anybody yet because I've yet to have the conversation. My wife and I just talked about this the other day, um, and and we were, I was bouncing my ideas off of her, and I landed on I know exactly what it's going to be, but I haven't had a chance to tell them yet. Oh, and, uh, we're not going to ask her because she can keep now, a secret. Now you're keeping a secret. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony, Tony Bazzelli. a secret, Tony. Now, it, now, now it's on you. Yeah. She's, te- right. she's teaching me she, Iris. she's teaching me her tricks i'm trying to i'm trying to learn from the, she's, she's the master jedi she's yoda i'm just a young skywalker tony baselli <laughs> it's been a long time coming but congratulations on reaching the pro football hall of fame and thanks so much for joining us we'll see you in kenton this summer sounds good thanks clark thanks ira and i appreciate you guys having me on and all the support throughout the years you got thanks, it tony. thanks tony that was hall of famer tony baselli class of 2022 and ira you got to like the guy's patience. I mean, he waited a long time, never complained, and he rolled with the punches. And I do think, as we said on this program when Sam was here, had he not made it this year, wasn't sure he was actually going to cross the finish line. It was the perfect opportunity. We nailed this one, Clark. We nailed it because he was my number one guy that was going to get in in the class of 2022. It was his time. There's no Peyton Manning blocking him, and there's no Charles Woodson blocking him. and you're right. He doesn't make it this time. Could be a real problem going forward. Are like me, you are married. How do you think his wife keeps that secret? Man, I'm telling you, I wish I had a woman like that. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> good, good. Good. It doesn't go beyond. This is just between us. Your wife will Ian, uh, Ian, you can erase that one. Ian. You, you can erase. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it. If you want to listen to more of the eye test for two, listen to our producer, Ian Glendon, and he will tell you how. Well, there's a number of ways. First, you can go to fullpresscoverage.com. Check out the podcast tab on the top of the website. Pull it down. You'll see the eye test for two. And, of course, you can download the Full Press Coverage app, and it's available right there in our podcast section. Either way, it's easy. Trust me, it's easy. Thanks again for listening to the eye test for two, and we'll see you next week.